0: What's going on? Welcome back to the Jordan Sigh mini podcast. We've got Tony. Tony live with us today. I have no clue what we're talking about. I was just talking to my wife about it. No clue. But uh, it's going to be a, a, a at the most an hour and 10 minute podcast. At the most. That's what I know. But anyway, Tony, how are you, bro?
1: I'm doing well. I've got my cold brew right here.
0: Nice. How do you take it?
1: This is like a concentrate. So there's just a touch of water in there, and that's it. Wow, that's that
0: is a very dark coffee right there.
1: It's, it's just dangerous. C- it's, uh, that's
0: a dangerous coffee.
1: <laughs> the thing about cold brew is it goes down smooth. And okay. So sometimes, you know, I'll be I'll be drinking to satisfy my thirst, mm. and then you know, half an hour later, I've got the jitters. Bro, did you ever see my YouTube video where I only, you saw the one where I only (laughs) drank coffee?
0: Dude, that was so bad. That's what made me think when you were like, yeah, I drank it to quench my thirst because I was drinking a lot of coffee to quench my thirst and to hydrate. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, To literally hydrate. That was terrible.
1: Yeah. Don't ever do that again.
0: Dude, never, (laughs) never, ever, ever. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what happened, I drank coffee. There's a whole a myth that coffee dehydrates you, which aside from the research being very clear that that's not accurate, common sense would tell you you're literally just drinking water that's filtered through a bean. So, of course it's not going to dehydrate you. But you can show people research and talk common sense all you want. I was like, "You know what? I'm just going to only drink coffee for 24 hours and sh- and measure, you know, the hydration status via urine so people can see that I'm still hydrated." And uh I had so much caffeine that day Man. that I – I uh, go watch the video. I'll yeah. leave it at that. It's yeah. If you Google search like Jordan Syatt Coffee well, – actually, you know what? Let me see. what Jordan Syatt Coffee YouTube. Let me see what comes up. Yep, it's the first one that comes right up. It says, I drank only coffee for one whole day. You want to throw it in the notes? Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. It's nice. a good idea.
1: Yeah. I forgot that was a possibility. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just know when I have too much caffeine, like I do get kind of like this nervous energy. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not fun. It 100% increases
0: anxiety if you have too much. There's no question
1: about it. (laughs) Well, today we're going to talk about recovery. Recovery. All right, perfect. Recovery in all its forms and varieties. So... What do you think of first when you think of recovery? It was funny because as soon as you said that, I was like,
0: oh, yeah, so let's over overdose on caffeine and just be <laughs> super jittery, stress out your nervous system, not be able to sleep. That was like the first thing that came to my mind. That's uh, not a good recovery strategy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually... No, let's start there. Why, why isn't that good? So I think we
0: we all know well, we'll start with sleep. We all know sleep is important, but I think in, in recent years, it's become even, we've become more acutely aware of it. And, you know, I always talk about how the fitness industry runs on a pendulum of extremes, but I think we could find this in all aspects of life. For many years, it was like grind, 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 don't sleep, just work, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I think that was very enticing for a lot of people, myself included. And then it was all of a sudden, like into culture, people were like, hold on, like you're telling people not to sleep and sleep is super important for your health. And, uh, there were some really, 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 uh, big books that came out around sleep and a lot of research that came out around sleep. And now all of a sudden, I think in the last few years, it's been not cool to be not sleeping to grind. It's been, no, no, it's Mm -hmm. actually cool to get a good night's sleep, which I really like. So if, and I see this a lot with people who are abusing caffeine or, Abusing stimulants in and of themselves where they're just like, they're staying up super late and working and I get it. I did that when I was, you know, younger and trying to build my business. I I understand it. But saying if you never burn the midnight oil, then you're probably not really gonna build a business that you want. But from a recovery perspective, it's a terrible idea. Mm. It's really, really bad. You need to get sleep. So you can probably still hear the sleep in my voice. <laughs> so sleep is is with, like for so many reasons far outside the scope of of this specific podcast. It's unbelievably important. But even I think overdoing stimulants is just, it's not good. If even I think physiologically, we're actually much more resilient than many people give the human body credit for. People talk about, you know, damaging your metabolism so much and then like they they often think that the human body is just like a feeble little thing that can that is so easily destroyed it's like we wouldn't have survived if like think about all the things that we have i'm think i think about this now because of my daughter but like for all the things that we have for newborn infants that make things more comfortable and more safe and da da da, da it's like think about all like a child being born in a fucking cave to like two cavemen who had no clue what they were doing and had like no sanitary stuff. And yes, obviously death rates were higher, but like we survived as a species Mm -hmm. and like the the most resilient ones survived. And -hmm. it's like, we're, we're very much able to handle some pretty insane and intense shit. So from a physiological perspective, I actually think like we're, we're much better off than most people realize. I think especially from a stimulant perspective, it's the psychological and it's the, the neurological, it's like the, the central nervous system, like central governor of our body that can actually get seriously drained. It can be one of those things where you know a lot of people, they, they feel chronically fatigued mm-hmm. and they're, they're getting great sleep and they're actually doing a great job. And there could be many reasons why they're feeling chronically fatigued, but I think overdoing stimulants is a, is a really, really, really effective way to screw up your recovery because you're always on. And you're al- and then once you reach a certain level of tolerance, then you have to up it and you have to up it and you have to up it to the point where it's like you're just never giving your body enough time to re- rest, recover, relax, get into a, a more relaxed state mm-hmm. so that you can actually give your body and, and mind and everything a chance to recover properly.
1: Yeah. Is it related to fight or flight? Yeah. A hundred percent. You're feeling, you know, the adrenaline's up, you're feeling tension as opposed to like, what does that do something to your body or? Oh my God, dude, there's so much, there's so much that happens, but you know, this is more of
0: a, a lifestyle discussion that I've been thinking about a lot lately, <sighs> especially here in the U S and, and in other areas as well, like Canada, the UK and stuff. But like, I think I can really mainly speak to the U S cause this is where I live. But Things are so convenient for mm. a large portion of us. You can just order your groceries directly to your doorstep. You can order food directly to your doorstep. So many people are able to work from home now, which I think is a blessing. Like We have everything at our disposal so easily and readily. And in many ways, this is good. It's a good thing because we can spend more time with our family and our friends. But I also think in many ways, it's a really bad thing. And I think it's a bad thing because... Just take something as simple as, hey, I got to leave the house to go to the grocery store. Hmm. That is not a high intensity thing that you don't need to like take a bunch of caffeine to make that happen. You don't need to take a bunch of stimulants. It's actually a relatively relatively low intensity, relaxed thing that you can do. And oftentimes like just enjoy it relatively in a, in a very relaxed mental and emotional and physical state. Whereas now, cool. So instead, we can have the groceries delivered to our house. So what do we do instead? Often now, because everything is so convenient, every waking moment is dedicated to work. And we got to work. And in order to work, that's when people are like, well, I've got to hype myself up. I've got to hype myself up. I've got to stay focused. I've got to put on, I got to take all these stimulants, right? It's So I think we miss out on a lot of opportunities to relax. Even, dude, Even going to the bathroom, taking a dump, for example people will go in the bathroom, myself included. I'm not different. I'll take my phone and I'll be looking in comment sections and my blood pressure will go up because I'll see like people on the internet saying stupid shit or seeing ridiculous Mm -hmm. posts and like fight or flight like on the toilet rather than, you know what, maybe I should leave my phone outside and just focus on like, number one, the miracle that is my body that's like, is capable of doing what it's doing right now. Thank God I'm I'm able to do this because if I wasn't, then we'd have a real problem. But I think because things are so convenient now, whether the convenience of bringing in your your computer that fits in your palm that you can then immediately communicate with people all over the world, mm-hmm. or the convenience of being able to to have things delivered to your house or the convenience of having everything wherever you need it all the time, it actually gives us more opportunities to be more stressed out more often because we're not focused on the smaller things that technology has taken away for us, which I don't think is good for our recovery.
1: Yeah. Man, there's so many little threads we can pull on just based on that. Um, One of the things that I see touted for recovery Mm -hmm. is akin to, or people talk about it as if it's similar to what humans used to go through before we had all of those creature comforts and stability. Mm -hmm. So cold baths, cold showers, um, changes in temperature. That's something that I've seen people talk about as beneficial to your body. What do you think?
0: So we could talk about the extreme of like extreme heat saunas. We could also talk mm-hmm. about the exact opposite where like the ice baths and stuff. Um, I'll start by saying I saw a hilarious meme yesterday about ice baths, which it, listen, I, I'm not, I don't like them for me personally, but they, they do have some benefits. We'll talk about those in a second. But there's a hilarious meme where <laughs> it was like basically talking about recovery and these like angry people are in the ice bath being like, if you want to recover, you've got to make yourself uncomfortable. You always have to make yourself uncomfortable. And there's just this like angry person in the ice bath telling everyone else to do it. And then there's right next to him, there's a guy like, just taking a nap. And he's like, yeah, like, I'd rather just be comfortable taking a nap and like getting the equal recovery benefits and like, just from getting a nice extra little bit of sleep in there. Um, which, you know, and like that way you're comfortable, but like, you're also getting some great recovery benefits. So in terms of in terms of the benefits of of these extreme environments whether it's heat or cold I'll address the the one major issue that I think you touched on at the beginning which is like well this is what we're naturally supposed to be doing this is like what we were what we faced before all this modern technology and all this stuff that is called the naturalistic fallacy it's a fallacy of thinking well just because like this is what many of our ancestors have went through before technology, that must mean that it's like better for us or there is some inherent benefit to it. And that's just not accurate. And there are many, many examples of, of the, this flawed way of thinking. So just because our ancestors may have been more, uh, exposed to these different elements in these different situations does not mean that it's inherently better for us. Our ancestors were exposed to many different things that were not good for us at all. So there's that. With that being said, there's a pretty substantial and clear amount of research for both extreme heat situations like in a sauna and for extreme cold situations like in a cold bath that make it at least worth exploring for yourself, seeing if it's worth it for you. I, I actually really love the sauna. Like I really enjoy the sauna. I love the heat. I, I live in Texas. Like I hate the cold. I grew up in the cold, but high heat. I like, it could be 110 degrees out. And like, I, it's my favorite. I sweat no matter what, like I could sweat in the freezing cold. So I don't care if it's hot, because I'll be sweating. And then everybody else is sweating. So it's sort of even the playing field. But I love, 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 love the heat. And I hate the
1: cold. You moved to Texas, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. While there are benefits to both, what I will say is, to date, the current research has not shown me that the benefits are so number one, clear, and number two, significant, that you couldn't get them from doing other things that are probably equally, if not more beneficial and also more readily available and far more comfortable. The first one just being, you know, taking a nap and catching up (laughs) on your sleep, right? Just being, making sure you're getting enough sleep. I see a lot of people, I see, dude, I don't know if you've seen, these like ice bath containers, you could, like, I see some people do them in their trash bins and their, their tubs, which like, that's if I was going to do it, that's what I would do. Dude. Some of these ice bath containers cost like five to $20,000. Really? Dude. Fi- like, I literally was talking to one of my buddies a couple weeks ago. He just bought one for 5,000. I've seen them online for 20,000. Um, I'm pretty sure the one that Joe Rogan uses that everyone wants to buy now because he uses it is like $20,000. Um, I'm like, what the fuck are Like just, get bags of ice and put it into a bin and get it or your bathtub. But um, here's the thing. So there's, there are two main camps for these. There's the camp that says, don't ever do it. It's really bad. And there's the camp that says you have to do it. It's amazing. It's the most amazing thing in the world. I'm per usual more in the middle. Let's look at both extremes. Yeah. The extreme that says, don't do it. It's actually really bad for you tends to be the hypertrophy camp, the camp of people who really want to build bigger muscles and they will say things, they'll talk about how um, protein synthesis is is uh, negatively impacted through getting in the ice bath and recovery is negatively impacted through getting in the ice bath. And to be honest with you, they're correct. It is blunted when you get in the ice bath and it's definitely not something you'd want to be doing probably immediately after training for those reasons, but if we look at the research in terms of how much it's impacted, it's, it's not that much. Like mm-hmm. it's like how big of an impact is this really going to have on your muscle growth? Like, is it going to cause you to build like slabs and slabs, less muscle because you're using nice bath? No, of course not. It just might not be optimal, like, like fully, fully optimal. On the other hand, then we see the the ice bath, the pro ice bath people talking about how it has so many benefits from a fat loss perspective and from a, a, a dopamine perspective and from a hormonal perspective. And it's very clear that they're correct. Like There are many of those benefits, but you could get those benefits just by getting good sleep, by fueling yourself properly with good food, by going on a walk right? Like there, there are so many other ways to get these benefits outside of putting yourself into something that's really uncomfortable. And I will say though, there is the, I, I personally think the greatest benefit of something like an ice bath is the mental benefit of doing something really, really hard Mm -hmm. every day. Something that you definitely do not want to do. I think there, I think there's a, a significant amount of, of value to that. Ironically, To date, I haven't found much published literature that shows that that is actually viable, but just because there's no published literature on it doesn't mean it's not true. I haven't found much published literature in terms of thinking, okay, so if if we force this or if this person forces themselves to do something difficult, that will make them more likely to continue doing difficult things. I do think that makes sense that like just logically, if you get comfortable breaking down barriers and doing uncomfortable things, that'll be easier for you to do it. But I'll tell you what, like I do jujitsu every day, which is really, really difficult for me, but there's no fucking way I'm getting in an ice bath because that seems (laughs) way more difficult. And so it's like, and just because I do an ice bath doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to want to do something else difficult. Right. I think the difficulty of it is task specific, right? It's like, it might be really difficult for you to get in an ice bath, but just because you're willing to get in an ice bath doesn't mean you're willing to face your fear of, of going into like of heights, or mm-hmm. trying out a martial arts class, or whatever it is. So there's, I, I think that probably the difficulty, the the benefit of doing difficult things is more task specific. So it'll get easier and easier and easier to get in an ice bath every day. But that's it. So I, I don't know. There's, I think there are definite benefits, but not benefits that you couldn't get elsewhere in life just from doing regular things that we know are going to be good for you. And if you know that you're lacking in, um, if you're lacking in social interaction. I'd rather you spend less time alone in an ice bath and more time, you know, hanging out with your family and mm. uh, and having like a nice meal with them and relaxing. Or if you're lacking in uh, sleep, don't wake up early to get an ice bath at four in the morning. Like, stay get get the another thirty minutes, sixty minutes of sleep. Like that would be amazing. I think it, it would be equally, if not more, beneficial and far more comfortable. So, my thing is, if you like it and it makes your life better, amazing, go for it. But I wouldn't be so either worried that the drawbacks are going to take away dramatically from your from your progress, or that the benefits are dramatically going to enhance it because realistically, it's it's not that dramatic on either end. And if I'm ever proven wrong on this one day, I'll gladly say, Hey, by the way, I was incorrect. You know, ice baths are literally the best thing you could do for your health and longevity. If you do them, you will automatically live to 500 years old. Then I'll gladly say that I was wrong. But I don't think that's the case.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And, and you touched on some things that I guess we could describe as low-hanging fruit. Um, you said like walking more, getting enough sleep, getting enough nutrition. How does that impact recovery? Like why bring those things up in a conversation about recovery?
0: I mean, the thing for me is I want to help people fit fitness into their life, not make their life fit into fitness. Right. Mm. And, and with that being like, that's always my main goal. That's like, that's my central governor. That's my, that's everything that I want people to be able to do. So with that in mind, all right, cool. So what is the easiest, lowest hanging fruit that has the highest benefit and and rate of return? It's like getting good sleep, walking, focusing on nutrition. It's interesting. We could look at a different perspective of the results that you're going to get from following a good fitness program, making sure you're training consistently, getting good sleep, drink, staying hydrated, eating good foods, right on a consistent basis. Those are all like the lowest hanging fruit, but everyone wants the pill, right? They want to go to GNC or vitamin shop or get the magic supplement or the pill. And people always say to me like, Oh, yeah, like what supplements should I take? I'm like, bro, you haven't worked out in 12 years. And the first thing you're asking me is what supplements like, no, no, you need to get your workouts in check. You need to be consistent with for three times a week for at least like three years. You need to be getting at least six to eight hours of sleep every night for three years. You need to be consistently staying hydrated. You need to be doing all of this for three years before you even ask me what supplements to take. And I think that a lot of people look at these, these unique recovery methods, whether it's whether it's ice baths or sauna or, uh, cupping or whatever it is. Like they look at all these different recovery methods and like, Oh my God, I need that. It's like, no, you don't. Like you just need to do these major, major, major things. The, the most important ones, the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest ones to do, because that takes care of, 97% of what you need. And if you're an elite athlete and you want to experiment with the the higher level stuff and you have the disposable income and the disposable time to make it happen, sure, it's not going to hurt. But I talk to the vast majority of the population. I'm not talking to the elite athletes. I'm not talking to Olympic athletes. I'm talking to moms and dads and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and everyday regular people who just want to get fit and be healthy and feel good. It's like <laughs> if if my number one recommendation is getting in an ice bath, then I'm fucked. I've been compromised. If that's, if that's, if that's my number one recommendation
1: to the vast majority of people. So what, what is it that walking, for example, does for recovery?
0: Oh man. So it's funny. My brain immediately goes to like what everyone knows, the wellness wheel. We were all taught the wellness wheel, probably in like middle school and interpersonal and intrapersonal. And,
1: and I don't I, remember this one. You
0: I don't, don't remember the wellness wheel? Oh, bro. Let me just Google the wellness wheel real quick. You don't re- man. All right, well, all right, let me see. Wellness. <laughs> so this is so funny. I haven't seen it since like middle school, but we've got like physical and spiritual and emotional and occupational and intellectual, and environmental, financial, social. These are like all the different aspects of wellness, Mm -hmm. Uh, and health that come into play. And I think most people, especially in the fitness industry, they really often only focus on physical, which is only one aspect of this. There's like eight of these. There's eight sections in this. And most people are only thinking about physical. And physical is super important and we need more people thinking about physical. But spiritual, emotional, occupational, intellectual, environmental, financial, social, like they're all equally important, I think. So even before I get into the physiological benefits of walking, I mean, one of my personal favorites is like, number one, you could get out in the environment, you could get outside Or even if you're not outside, at least you can like go to the gym or go to a different area of your house or somewhere like to change your environment and maybe an environment that you enjoy. You can also, when you're now more than ever, like if you're going on a walk, if you want to improve your intellectual aspect, like you could listen to a podcast like you're doing right now. You could read, you could listen to an audio book. Like these are great things that you can do to help a lot at the same exact time. If you want, like if you want to talk to your parents, if they're still around or friends or whatever, then you could, you know through it. You can improve the social aspect by giving one of them a call, or you could do it in a group. There's walking groups where you can go and hang out with people and have a community. It's like, there are so many things that you can do on a walk, like that improve so many other aspects of your health outside of just the physical. And the physical is, is huge. It's absolutely unbelievably huge, but there are so many other aspects of health that you can tackle at the exact same time. I mean, occupational, there's a lot of times that I'll be able to do work while I'm walking. And now, especially if you work from home, like you could do that. Or if you work in an office and you're in in your office, you could get a walking pad or you could get like one of those like desk bike things that I have. Like there's so many ways that you could do it all at the same time at this point, which is really, really cool. We've never been able to do this before. But um, from a physiological level, I mean, the the benefits that walking has on recovery in terms of mitochondrial density. And I always struggle in terms of how scientific do I want to get Because it's like, number one, I always think if people really wanted to like learn the deep science, they would have went to school for it. And also, I don't want to bore people. But the reality is like, I, I, I tend to focus on the benefits as opposed to what's actually happening. But so if we're looking at mitochondrial density, we're looking at improved aerobic capacity, we're looking at all of these things, what we find is essentially dramatically improved recovery. And I think an easy way to to show this in a practical example is when you improve your aerobic capacity, right, your body's ability to essentially oxygenate the body, get more oxygen throughout the body, even at a little bit higher and higher intensity, what you'll see is people who were lifting weights, they will actually recover more quickly between sets. And this to me is insane because a lot of strength athletes, they don't think there's any reason for them to be doing any form of low intensity cardio walking. They're like, oh, whatever. I'm a power athlete. I should be focusing on the things that improve my power and rate of force development. But when they start adding just a little bit of lower intensity cardio, they don't need five minutes rest between sets. Now they can do it in like three and a half. And if you can, if we look at the equation for, for total work you're doing, if you can do the same amount of work in less time. That's a huge amount of improvement. And that's literally the perfect example of reco- of better recovery. So, and this is carried over in every aspect of life. Just doing a little bit more walking, even a 5, 10, 15, 20 minute walk, done this, doing this consistently will improve your ability to recover. It will de-stress you. I mean, there, there are so many, many, many factors that, that can help with this that relate to better recovery overall from intense training, or even from if you have difficult things going on in your home life. Getting outside, going on a walk is an amazing way to de-stress, calm down, get out of that, like, that high intensity, like neurotic state. Like, a lot of times these situations can put us in really terrible mental and physical conditions. So mm-hmm. getting outside, going on a walk, it, it's, I think it's one of the best things you can do. It's why I talk about it so much.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to me that you're, you're mentioning kind of these macro concepts, stress whether it's caffeine related social stress anxiety you're talking about aerobic capacity or oxygenation which is kind of the buzzword that i see mm. across a lot of these different methods like massage gun what's it doing <laughs> you know what's what's cupping doing it's supposed to increase blood circulation to those muscles or you know what's walking doing what's an ice bath doing i think a lot of them talk about just increased blood flow, increased mm. oxygenation. Yes. And if you can do that just by moving, just by walking <laughs> yeah. um, and get, you know, I, I'm just making up a number because I have no idea. But let's just say it's, you know, 90% the same or 99% the same. What What would you say it is? Dude, it's, it's like minuscule differences. It's like it's, it's barely a
0: percentage point difference, yeah. which like, I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's if you could get the exact same benefits or nearly the exact same benefits by doing something that is far more enjoyable. Yeah. Then why not just do that?
1: So in the macro sense, I've flagged kind of three things we've talked about. Stress, sleep, oxygenation. And then we also touched on diet for a quick second. Are there any other big before we dive in deeper are there any other kind of big overarching things people just need to be thinking about in terms of recovery man there's so many aspects of
0: recovery that that i don't think people talk about and that's it's sort of why i wanted to discuss the wellness wheel and discuss like mm-hmm. so many different aspects of health and wellness one thing that's been cool for me to see is the people bringing in more and more like spirituality. It's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people like yoga, because in many cases, yoga sort of incorporates spirituality into it. Personally, I don't like yoga classes. And this is just me, like I get really bored. Hmm. And it's just, it's not fun. Like if I have to do an hour of just like stretching and mobility, it's really, really fucking boring for me. And I don't like it. There are so many benefits and like, arguably it's like, potentially the single oldest form of exercise that has been around for thousands of years and it's helped so many millions and millions of people so that if you love it amazing but what I like is I can take bits of yoga that I do like so for example one thing I'll always do you and I spoke about this in the programming podcast how I'll superset strength movements with yoga based movements so that I can do both you know strength and mobility, essentially back to back without having to do an entire class just around yoga. But I think a lot of what I think people need in terms of recovery now, I I think when people think about recovery, they're thinking about, you know, cellular signaling, protein synthesis, all that stuff. And when I think about recovery, I'm thinking about more big picture, more macro things like Mental recovery, emotional recovery, because I think these things have a bigger impact on your physiology than like a couple of sets of squats or something. Like I mm-hmm. think what cause we talk about this all the time. The time you spend in the gym is a minuscule amount of time relative to everything else you do in your life. Right. It's it's an hour a day, a few times a week, three, four, five times a week. It's not that much who you're hanging out with, what you're consuming, who you're talking to, what you're talking about, how much you're sleeping. These are all things that I think dramatically influence your physiology much more. And if you're not getting enough recovery from these things, and you're not putting yourself in a good mental and emotional space. That I think is going to be way worse for your overall recovery from the gym than anything else. Mm -hmm. So that's why I talk about this stuff. And I know it's it's sexier and there are some very, very smart people out there who really dive in on these individual systems. And they dive in on like the, the smallest little cellular systems, like all these things that happen and talking about the hormonal cascade that you'll get from from doing ice baths or, or from doing uh, doing it the sauna and, and all like the regenerative properties on a cellular level. And people love hearing about that in the same way they love hearing about what creatine will do or what beta alanine will do and, and how much the impact it has. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is this is also a marketing technique. This is a sales technique. You, you make people see this thing that seems so complex and so incredible that they don't know much about. And then they think that they have to do that one thing when the reality is if they take care of the big picture stuff in their life first everything else is going to fall into place. It's hyper focusing on the minutia of these tiny, teeny, tiny things that I think really confuses people in terms of what they need to do for their recovery and just sleeping more, staying hydrated, staying mobile and flexible. You know, maybe we should talk about mobile and flexible. Should we talk about that for a little bit? I think that's an, a major aspect of recovery that people dramatically overlook. Yeah, no, go for it. When we're talking about recovery, we could talk about, about people getting like preventative as opposed to reactive. I think this is a super important part of recovery, like being able to prevent the need for major recovery as opposed to reacting to the need for major recovery. And I see so many people getting injured, so many people like lacking serious mobility and flexibility. One thing that I've learned from coaching so many people over the years, and I can always tell who hasn't really coached older people Mm. is because you'll never find someone who's 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Who complains about their about having too much mobility? Ever, you never find someone 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 being like, "Oh God, I just I wish I wasn't this flexible this late (laughs) in my life. I wish I didn't have this mobility." Without question, like it's it's one of the best things they can have, and it's one of the the easiest ways for them to avoid serious falls, Mm -hmm. to avoid like having life threatening injuries, to avoid even something as simple as like throwing their back out. Yeah. which can dramatically impact their life in so many negative ways. So I think if we really want to talk about recovery from a prevention perspective, never like, never mind the reactive uh, aspect is making sure you're fle- you're stretching, making sure you're doing mobility. There's a huge group of people right now who love to talk, who hate on stretching. They hate on flexibility. They say, you don't need it. It doesn't help. Blah, 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 blah. And they cherry pick research. And I'm like, None of you have worked with an elderly population. Never, not even elderly, just like slightly older population. You have no idea how important this shit is. And it's actually relatively easy to do and to maintain. It doesn't take that much time. But like, if you like, and that's where I think it's an important conversation to have about the preventative aspect of recovery versus the reactive aspect of recovery.
1: So the thing that I always think about on this topic is I read somewhere that in Japan, the mortality rate for the geriatric population from like falling, breaking the hip or that mortality cause is a lot lower. Mm. And someone posited that it's because, you know, they sleep on futons on the floor or they sit on pillows on the floor. And so even, you know, 80 year old ladies can literally squat down and sit and get Mm -hmm. up and they do it every day, all the time, routinely. And I just, you know, I struggle to imagine the general population in the United States, for example, at age 80, squatting down to the floor. I mean, like mm-hmm. you said, if you've seen if you've seen people in those positions, it's very uncommon. Dude, I love that. You're exactly right. And you know what else? This that
0: culture specifically, but other cultures as well that, that they do is they walk way more than us. It's like so, so we could look at the mobility aspect that you brought up, right? Where they can, they're squatting down to the floor, like every day, multiple times a day, their entire life, which improves their mobility and makes sure the, it maintains their mobility, mm-hmm. which is we lose it more and more and more, if, especially if you're not using it.
1: Is it true, if, Jordan, if, that if, if you, you don't, don't use, use it, it you, you lose, lose it? it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself.
0: Uh, dude, I love, I, I was thinking the same thing. Um <laughs> If we look at the, like the longest living populations in the world, it's not power lifters, right? It's not Olympic lifters, it's not bodybuilders. It's it's the people who walk the most. That's really like that really is what it boils down to. And they have there are many different diets and nutritional strategies for people who, who live the longest. But there's no question that the people who li- live the longest are the ones who walk the most, which is interesting because. One of the things that a lot of strength coaches, myself included, talk about the benefits of strength training is the added bone density, Mm -hmm. which is true. You get added bone density from strength training, which I think it's one of the reasons it's so important to do it all throughout your life, both early on and as you get older, because it will help with your bone density, which is especially, like it's important for everyone, but especially for women. But what a lot of people don't realize is that as you get older, something as simple as walking can improve your bone density just continuing to walk is going to layer down more and more bone, increase your bone density and and improve your resiliency. So if you're doing what they're doing, which is practicing their mobility, continuing to use that range of motion and and maintain that range of motion. And then on top of that, walking a lot, it's like that person's going to be way safer, way less likely to fall, way more likely to be able to recover from a fall more quickly if they do fall. And also having that extra mobility and that strength will prevent the fall and prevent so many issues. And it, it might seem weird to talk about it, but people die from falling every day. Mm-hmm. And a tremendous number of people die from falling every day, where they fall. And the, and I, I bet there are people listening to this podcast who have a relative who's died from falling. Mm. They've broken a hip, hurt their back, whatever it is, and they just have a cascade of negative things that happen as a result of it. And this type of conversation is so different than what I would have had even five, seven years ago in my, my career, just because I was focused on other things. But it's, if you're really trying to live a life of as long as you possibly can, and as healthy as you possibly can with the highest quality of life, these are the things we need to be focusing on. Not, not like the, listen, why are people making so much content around ice baths? Like, let's, let's look at the psychology of this.
1: Hmm.
0: It's because it's an ego thing it's not because they're truly blown away with the ben- and maybe they've convinced themselves now that they are but it's it's an ego thing they can show everybody that they're doing something really hard if they have like a, a, a really cool physique then like they can also at the same time show people what their body looks like and and make it seem like it's not an ego thing oh no i'm just getting an ice bath so obviously like i'm wearing this so they can show you that you're it's they're they're doing something really really hard they can show you what their body looks like and at the same time they can talk about something that sounds very unique and very interesting and very scientific to also show off their knowledge mm. it's they're looking for weight for things to talk about this is why people talk about supplements so much on social media assuming let's assume they're not selling the supplements but they're making content around it which they probably are selling the supplements they're getting an affiliate link or they're selling their own company stuff it's they don't want to talk about walking they don't want to talk about sleep they don't want to talk about this other stuff just because it's boring and everybody knows it and and they're trying to they're trying to increase their reach on the platform. And they think the way to do that is by talking about something that people don't necessarily know a lot about. So it's like, well, let's post more about this because it sounds intriguing as opposed to it being truly the, the most beneficial thing. It's, uh, the psych understanding the psychology of why people post what they post, I think is equally, if not more important as understanding like what it is they're actually posting.
1: It's such a, it's such a head game. Like I, I, struggle with social media in so many ways because i feel like it's there's so much projection involved and in order to do it you are projecting something out into the world and so it's just really interesting to hear you talk about it that way as as not the content itself but the projection behind it like what yeah that
0: they're actually trying to do i think about this a lot with i i'm i consider myself very lucky and blessed for so many things but I look at the younger generation in the fitness industry now, and I see a lot of these, these young lifters, especially the dudes who think that their entire self-worth is made up in how much they can lift. Mm. So, and, and it's not just how much they can lift, but how much they show people they can lift. And essentially, it's every day. So, And we could talk about this in terms of recovery, but when you're lifting heavy, you're not supposed to lift as heavy as you can every day especially as a powerlifter or bodybuilder, like you, you need periods of, of rest and lower weights in order to allow your body's central nervous system to recover, muscles, tendons, joints, ligaments, but everything to recover. But since a lot of these younger lifters post their, their workouts on social media and so much of their ego is wrapped up in how many likes they get and how people telling them, oh my God, you're so strong. How do you do that? And they also think that their business is Defined by that, like, well, if people don't see me lifting heavy weights, then they're not going to want to work with me. Now they're throwing a lot of really good programming strategies to the wayside. And they're just going to try and lift as heavy as they can every day so that they can get more footage to post on social media of themselves lifting heavy. And so what do they do? They throw away often good lifting techniques and good programming strategies. They start taking more steroids and more drugs so that they can their body can handle that amount of stress so that they can look different, they can feel different, they can act different. And they post this on social media and it might be good for their business short-term. It's definitely not good for their health. It's definitely not not good for the mental health of the viewers who don't know that they're on steroids, who don't know that they're not taking any rest, who don't know any of this stuff, who think like, oh, I should be able to lift this heavy all day, every single day, day in, day out. And then I see these young men, 23, 24, 25, Having life-altering injuries or getting super burned out because they're going too hard, too heavy all the time, and uh, it's born out of this. Well, I need to post it on social media. Mindset. Yeah. It's it's dude. It's so bad. It's yeah. really really bad. And like you, you need the rest and recovery from these heavy lifts. So it, it's it's pretty crazy when I think about it from that like stratification perspective.
1: Yeah, and to drill back in, you know, you mentioned. What sounds to me like a really, really important aspect of recovery is rest. Mm. So if you're trying yep. to PR every day and you're not giving your body time to, to rebuild, right? Dude, a hundred percent. Even right now. So I,
0: I, I speak about this all the time. Fitness industry runs on a pendulum of extremes and there's, there's very little that's new And I would even argue potentially there's nothing that's new. that like everything's already been done before everything's a fad you know people talk about intermittent fasting now it's like we've been intermittent fasting for ages and ages and ages people talk about keto it's like there's been various forms of the ketogenic diet over and over and over again through the years it's just different fads at different times and once it's it's gone by the wayside someone will bring it back with a new name and to try and reintroduce it from a marketing perspective it's just very 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 interesting to me to see all these things come back in different waves and I completely just lost my train of thought. What was I? What What did you say to me that rest, led me down that
1: path? Rest, rest between heavy strength training days, rest between PRs.
0: Man, I completely lost my train of thought. But yeah, I mean, going into this, people, it's so, so important not to be lifting as heavy as you possibly can all the time. It, it's just like, it's. It's one of those things where if you understand strength training, you understand program design, which if you haven't listened to program design episodes, please go listen to those. It's uh, if you're lifting as heavy as you possibly can every day, you're not giving, oh, this is what I was going to say. Right now, bodybuilding has made a huge resurgence, which to toot my own horn, I did call this several years ago. I was like, we're going to see bodybuilding come back because bodybuilding, the, the bodybuilding workouts were big in like the nineties, early two thousands. And then we saw like a huge drop off more towards like functional training and, and athletic performance. And, and so I I said several years ago, we're going to see a resurgence in bodybuilding soon. I can, I can feel it. And now we're seeing a huge resurgence in bodybuilding and especially towards muscle growth, like towards getting bigger muscles. Mm -hmm. And in a, not in addition but alongside this resurgence in in muscle growth and bodybuilding this phase that we're seeing is this huge discussion around training to failure because we're being told that many people that you in order to optimize muscle growth you need to train to failure and if you are not training to failure then you're not optimizing muscle growth bro i i know a lot of these people who are saying this i interact with them i'm friends with them and i say to this to their, i say this to their face they have the, some of the worst injuries and some of the worst mobility I've mm. ever seen in my life. I watch some of these guys walk, dude, they, they walk with limps. They're like, they're, they can barely move and they're not old guys. And, and I, this is one of the things that I guarantee we're going to start seeing more and more and more of as people feel like, well, I need to train a failure. I need to lift as heavy as I can on every single set and every single rep. It's like, we're gonna see serious injuries, serious lacks of mobility we're gonna see serious drop in rates in recovery and and people having life altering injuries that could have been easily avoided with just better rest and not training to at the highest of intensity every single day and I see a lot of coaches making content around this where they're like making videos of themselves. Lifting as heavy as they can and like, see, look, see how hard I'm going. See how like absolutely like devastatingly hard I'm lifting. This is what you need to be doing on every single set. I'm like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Like doing that occasionally is a really good idea. If you, if you want to maximize muscle growth, maximize strength, but it's occasionally. It's not every workout. It's definitely not every exercise in every workout. And it's 100% not every set in every workout. But we're seeing people being like, yeah, you need to do fewer exercises and just go to complete failure on every single one. The issue, there are so many issues with this, but one of them is like, well, far fewer exercises, and just much higher intensity. If you're trying to optimize muscle growth, I see what they're saying is, but One of the reasons we have a fair number of different exercises is because we want to train in different planes of motion through different range of motion, Mm -hmm. through different different movement patterns. Mm -hmm. Not every exercise needs to be done to maximize muscle growth. You should be doing exercises to improve movement quality, to improve tissue quality, to improve mobility, to improve stability, to improve rotational strength and power. Not every exercise should just be about building bigger muscle. And when you, when every exercise is just about lifting as heavy as you can to build the biggest muscle possible, the strongest muscle possible, you will miss out on other important strength and health and fitness qualities. So it's, uh, this is the issue with their reductionist mindset of just muscle size, just muscle size, or even looking at ice baths or or saunas, whatever it is. This is look at the one impact this has on on cellular growth or cellular repair or whatever it is. Like, but what other aspects are we inhibiting as a result of it? Which is why I think we need a little bit more of a holistic view of program design and working out and recovery. It's not just one individual thing; it's everything cumulatively put together.
1: Yeah, and I think you know some of this comes from people looking to competitive bodybuilders, competitive powerlifters, competitive mm. CrossFit athletes, and trying to emulate them. But I think I'm, I'm hearing you say this and tell me, if, tell me if I'm wrong, but if you're not actually competing, it's probably more beneficial to have a well-rounded you know, plan and approach as opposed to an uber-specific elite athlete level approach. A hundred percent. Like,
0: yes, I absolutely agree. I would say, um, <laughs> I would say this. What's really interesting, and uh, the bodybuilders, physique competitors are going to be mad at me, but fuck it. They're not my clients. And this is the truth. Bodybuilding and physique competing is not healthy. Mm. It's not. There's an unbelievable amount of research on this. And we could talk about the disordered eating and the body dysmorphia that comes from it, which is without question, a a real, 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 very prevalent part of that, that world. But you can incorporate bodybuilding strategies into your program. But I think a purely bodybuilding style life bodybuilding program, whether the lifting and often the extreme nutrition is like one of the worst things you can do for your health. There, if we look at any other athlete, like basically any other high level athlete has a more well-rounded program than bodybuilders do. And it's ironic because in the fitness industry, we often look to bodybuilders and physique competitors as like the pinnacle, but they're not mm. <laughs> from a, from a long-term health and longevity perspective. They're not, and, and to be fair, neither are powerlifters. Like powerlifters, it's, I wouldn't say a purely powerlifting program is, is healthy either. I would say that it has the potential to be healthier because generally speaking, powerlifters understand they, they, they need more mobility. They need, they need other aspects of training to keep them healthy and safe. Uh, in order they need rotational work. They need core development work. They, they need things that will help them be able to function long into their career if they're doing it properly. Bodybuilding is just like, how can I look this way? And it's often I want to look like an athlete, not I want to perform like an athlete, which is why we see such a huge difference in how bodybuilders look versus how real athletes look, right? It's like, you don't see real like high level athletes looking like a bodybuilder because they train completely differently. So I would strongly encourage everyone, listen, if you want to bodybuild and if you are a bodybuilder, amazing, respect, like it's unbelievably difficult. It's it's not easy. It's a uh, tremendously challenging and in, in so many different ways and I have all the respect in the world for people to do it, but for the everyday person, shift your your idea of what fitness looks like because I think that you're massively mistaken if you think that looking at a bodybuilder, physique competitor, and thinking that that is fitness. That, that's not fitness mm. at all. That is, that is uh, obsessive-compulsive behavior, often with drugs, often with severe disordered eating behaviors and often with severe exercise issues, over-exercising that they can tolerate because of the drugs. And uh, it's just not fitness. And I don't give a shit what anyone says. That's not a healthy fitness uh, relationship.
1: So, you know, I imagine there's all sorts of drawbacks, but would it be fair to say that a drug like steroids increases? your ability to recover? So, so there's a lot to discuss here. In short, yes,
0: that is correct. I'm going to give a little bit of a longer answer. So there are different types of steroids, right? There, There's many different types of steroids that people can take, and I'm not advocating anybody take them. I do think there needs to be more willingness and open discussion around them because so many people use them. And to be frank, there are actually ways to use them that are safe and healthy and beneficial, always under the supervision of a doctor, and not at the recommendation of someone from fucking Instagram. But like, speak with your doctor about it. But um, what a lot of people think is that just taking steroids all of a sudden makes you don't have to do any work, and that you don't have to to, to train or do anything. And all of a sudden, you you look like a bodybuilder. That's not the case. Because a lot of people take steroids. And a lot of people who take them don't even look like they lift. So it's not just about taking them, it's about putting in the work. And and what steroids really allow you to do is they allow you to recover faster so you can work harder. That's really what a lot of people don't understand about about various types of steroids and, and, and anabolics is that they allow your body to recover more quickly so that then you can work out more. So a lot of these these bodybuilders, they'll sometimes train two times a day a natural lifter cannot do that. Like lifting intensely two times a day with the level of intensity that they're bringing and the weight, the amount of weight that they're lifting, it's, it's too much. Whereas someone who's taking certain types and certain amounts of steroids can do that. No problem. And it's difficult from the mental perspective and from the scheduling perspective. And they have to make like, they have to make the time in their day to do it, which is, it's unbelievably difficult and I respect it, but We have to be aware that when you're taking anabolic steroids, you're allowing your body to recover more quickly. So then you can work harder and put it under more stress so that it will it won't break down. But yeah, someone who is taking drugs has a much better recovery rate than someone who's not taking
1: drugs. Yeah. So, you know, one of the themes from this conversation has been, you know, focus on the fundamentals and and not just in the physical space, but also across different aspects of your life, social, mental, physical, diet, environmental. Are there environmental stuff, yeah. Can you recall times where you went down a rabbit hole and got uber focused on something that now you kind of realized, you know, wasn't really the, wasn't really the thing you thought it was? Man, I mean, that's very much my
0: personality. Like my personality is very much like if I find something that I'm, in like, that I really care about. Like I go all in on it. One example would be my powerlifting career, right? I went all in on powerlifting, but number one, it was worth it in order to accomplish what I accomplished and to, uh, to accomplish what I accomplished and to achieve what I achieved. Like, I think it was very much worth it, but I'll also say, even when I was at the peak of my powerlifting career, I was still giving my body the recovery it needed, right? And that's where I consider myself blessed that I wasn't using social media like it is around today because I, I think if social media, if I was that age today mm-hmm. and I was super hungry for likes and views and for ego and on all of that, I would be lifting way more stupidly, lifting way too heavy every single day just for the purpose of showing people that I can mm-hmm. and the impact I might have on my business and my ego and all of that. So the thing, even when I was deadlifting four times my body weight, or not even, it's because of the recovery that I was giving my body, I was able to deadlift four times my body weight because I was lifting appropriately, because I was cycling properly in terms of, you know if I didn't feel well on a certain day, I would reduce the weight. I I didn't feel like I had to lift heavy in order to show people on social media. It was like, no problem, I'll reduce the weight today. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, and I think this is important, when I was an elite power lifter, dude, I didn't, I didn't miss a workout for five years. Like not a single workout. I worked out four days a week and I didn't miss one workout. Now
1: that's so impressive.
0: (laughs) Now I have a more balanced relationship. I'm not a competitive power lifter. So I, I, I'll miss a workout. No problem. But it does bring up people often ask like, what if you need like a, a rest day or recovery day? Like, well, so four days a week, I had three rest days a week. Mm-hmm. On those three rest days, like I was, you know, I would sleep in and I would get a lot of walking in and all of that. So I'd have three full rest days a week, which was not only important, but crucial to the, to my body's ability to perform the way that it performed and to lift the weights that it lifted. So rest days are are incredibly, incredibly important. I would also do deload days as needed sort of like i said people talk about pre-programmed deload weeks where you know they every fourth week they have an entire week where they just deliberately lift lighter and i'm not a huge fan of pre-planned deload weeks i think you should listen to your body and learn hey listen you know today i feel like shit i'm going to reduce the weight today and see how i feel tomorrow or the the day after that whenever your next training session is i prefer going more based on how you feel as opposed to pre-planning when you need to program rest but It's interesting. Like I don't regret any of that. It was all very much worth it. But also, that was I was an elite, high level power lifter. I would never program an everyday person to lift and to to think the way that I thought at that point in my life, unless they wanted to reach that level. Which I think it's. I think I have a unique perspective because I have competed at the highest level in powerlifting and in some sports. But I prefer working with everyday average people and 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 coaching them and and helping them because I think that's really what matters most. Like, there's plenty of coaches out there who want to work with elite athletes, and there's plenty of people out there who want to do that. Like, I like working with everyday people and showing them you don't need to be that intense, you don't need to have that level of discipline or that level of intensity in order to live a longer, healthier, happier life. And I think balancing that hard work with hard rest is super important. Work hard, rest hard.
1: Yeah. It's so cool that you've, you know, you've taken that, that intensity and you've climbed that mountain. And when you come back down, what you're saying is balance. All in so many of these episodes, you're telling us, hey, balance. You know, it's not all just one thing.
0: Dude, you know what's interesting is I've been. I've been at the highest of the high in terms of like powerlifting and in so many, so many different endeavors, whether it's fitness, whether it's business, whatever. I've never been my happiest when I was at the highest peak of what many consider success.
1: Yeah,
0: I was like time like after I deadlifted four times my body weight, I was very proud of myself, but that's not the happiest I've ever been. Like when my business is like bringing in the most and like, like reaching the most people, That's not the happiest I've ever been. The happiest I've been is like when I'm sharing amazing moments with friends or family, or like, you know, just relaxing, hanging out. Like, that's, I'm acutely aware of, I'm my absolute happiest when I'm having amazing conversations and learning from people that I love, admire, and respect. And it's like, I think it's great to have goals and to shoot for them and to try to be the best you can be, but equally important to understand that none of that will bring you happiness if you aren't like trying to find it elsewhere in your life. And so that's why I, th- I, I try and work with the everyday average person because I think they can find immense happiness and immense gratitude and, and fulfillment just from a lot of the things that every day we've, we say are mundane or we take for granted but trying to make people aware of like you're living the dream right now like you're you're Mm. you're happy you're healthy like let's keep going with that like that this is this is what people all over the world would die for to be living the life that you're living right now so that's I think it when you have that mindset, it's, it's easier to allow yourself to recover. It's easier to allow yourself to, to stop guilting yourself and shaming yourself for, for, oh, I should always be doing more. I should always be doing more. It's like, yeah, maybe you could in some ways, but also maybe you could give yourself a little bit of grace and enjoy what you've got in front of you right now.
1: Yeah. I love that. You know, I think, uh, I think that's the note I'd love to, to sail off on real quick. I think there might still be questions, um, about Mm -hmm. recovery and maybe more nuts and bolts, kind of stuff. Would you be interested in opening that up to the listeners and having them ask questions that we can oh, yeah. do part two on this one?
0: Yeah, this is definitely not the recovery conversation I expected. Just went down all these different oh, rabbit but it holes. Was, but no, it
1: was, I loved it and I, I wouldn't take it back.
0: <laughs> so yeah, if if you have any questions about recovery, whether it's you know, the ice bath or the sauna or nutritional aspects or training aspects or recovery, sleep aspects, any of that, send it to Tony. Tony's got his Instagram handle in the show notes. Send him any questions on those. If we get enough, then we'll make a part two. If we don't get enough, then we're going to assume that you don't care about this discussion. We'll move on to something else. <makes noise> <Whoa. laughs> Thank you, bro. I did. I hope this was, uh, I hope this was a good podcast. I know it went in a different direction than you were probably planning.
1: Hey, I loved it. I loved it.
0: Awesome. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a five-star review, whether it's on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening. If Leaving a written review would be incredibly nice if you haven't done that as well. They really do help a lot because you know people scroll through their reviews and that's how they decide if they're going to listen to the podcast. So thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you soon.